All right. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack, and this week we are welcoming James Budge to the show. Hi, James. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for thanks for being here. Um, we did have a little bit of a technical problem to start things off with today, but we have everything working perfectly now. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, as we do in all our shows... Um, Please uh, feel free to interject in any way you want, but as we start off each one, we want to kind of get a history. And I do use the word bozo in the sense of bozo on the bus, um, about each of us has a similar kind of story that is, is human in nature, um, and it combines a lot of different aspects to life. But I'd love for you to, if you would be so kind, James, mm-hmm. is to share your story about how you got here and and what you know. I know you, I know you grew up here in in Utah in Salt Lake, but expand on anything you'd like. Tell us a little bit about you know how how you how you got here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So name's James Budge. I'm 29 years old. Uh, currently work at Wasatch Recovery Treatment Center. I've been there for almost exactly five years, and that's something that I've greatly enjoyed. And you know, I'll get into how I ended up there shortly. But uh, yeah, it was something that after I got sober, it was always a goal of mine to get involved in you know, some type of giving back and you know sharing the freedom that I found in my own recovery and you know things that have happened since. Uh, Family-wise, grew up LDS and was raised with good morals, and I have amazing parents. I've been married for over 30 years. What what does good morals mean? (laughs) So, good morals, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I was brought up to be honest and responsible and hardworking and kind to the people that surround me. and Respectful. Yeah, yeah, respectful. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents taught me a lot of, you know, beautiful principles that way, and you know, lived those through example. So I feel as though I had excellent, excellent role yeah. modeling as as a kid. Cool, so, cool. Mm-hmm. And you, were, you, I said when I interrupted you, you were, yeah. you were say, talking about your parents. Yeah, they've been together for a while. I'm guessing. Yes, thirty thirty something years they've been married. Mm-hmm. You got siblings. Yes, uh-huh. I've got a. Of course, you do. I know some of them. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> unless, in fact, unless, you know both of them. Unless yeah. they, <laughs> unless they haven't been telling me the truth. You know? uh, the problem is, you guys all have similar, you know, features. You look, you look somewhat alike. Yeah, right? uh-huh, yeah. My little brother just got a job at Wasatch, and everybody has to, you know, try and differentiate us. I think we look different, but you know. oh, you do, you do. <laughs> but definitely some similarities. Some shockingly blonde hair and. You know, blue eyes and <laughs> uh-huh. that's true. Uh-huh. That's yeah. true. But he's five years younger than me. Uh, his name's Nathan, and he is studying music at Snow College right now and working line staff at Wasatch. My sister is a nurse at Huntsman. Uh, she's eighteen months younger than me. Mm-hmm. So he's studying music. What kind of music is this? Uh- does he have a, a choice? That's so, a great music college, by the way. Yeah, yeah, he's really enjoyed it. Right now he's working on a, a teaching certificate. Oh. Mm-hmm. And he he's in about seven or eight different bands right now, and he's constantly learning new songs, and that's one of the reasons he's working graveyards, so he can take his guitar in and 
you know, jam and do and, bed and checks. And, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't <laughs> see many people up and walking around except for those with insomnia. Yeah. At a uh, treatment center, as we know. Yes. Uh, yeah. He's extremely talented. Great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So what led you to Wasatch? Tell us. Uh, I'm sure there was a... Uh... Yeah. So the short answer is I got addicted to, well, just about anything that changes the way that you feel. Um, <laughs> except for men. You were an equal, really equal opportunity yeah. abuser, as we yes, say. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was a garbage can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> more, more was my mantra. Yes, yeah, okay. uh, I understand that. Yeah. Um, that's the short answer. I guess the, you know, to go a little bit more in depth, I, I started using when I was 16 years old and I, you know, the first, first time that I drank, I had one and I was, that's the only time that I ever drank normally. Like I had one and I was like, this is pointless. Like I don't feel a thing. This is at 16. And, yeah. At 16. Mm-hmm. And did you keep, you, you keep drinking after that or did you? So I didn't. Well, what were the circumstances? What, yeah. How did you end up having a drink? So, totally stereotypical situation out with at a house party with older kids, and you know, wanted to fit in and be part of, you know, that crowd mm-hmm. that wanted to feel as though I was one of the cool kids because I always, you know, struggled with insecurity and feeling less than for mm-hmm. as long as I can remember. That's, you know, I don't. I think that most people that I've come across on some level struggle with that. But as for myself, I know that I certainly did. And so I'd do just about anything to feel accepted. Mm. And that was what everybody was doing. So I partook and, you know, it was a few months because it didn't do anything to me that time. I didn't think anything of it. But then I... The next time you I, had a drink, he said, that's not really for me. And, well, yeah. yeah, I didn't feel anything, literally oh, nothing. Well. So it wasn't like I was uncomfortable. It just, I guess I had a tolerance from the beginning, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say to that, to be yeah. honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I drank alcohol, but nothing happened. Yeah. You know, uh, right? So yeah. the next time. No I, bells or whistles or you know, <laughs> yeah. no moments of enlightenment. Uh, no, okay. certainly not. Uh-uh. Not even, not even a calming sensation. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the next time that I drank, I drank a, you know, a six pack and you know, smoked several bowls of marijuana and that's when it clicked. And that's when I fell in love with, you know, substances and it changed the way that changed the way that I saw life. I, I remember thinking to myself that this is what my life has been missing. And so you had that, you had one of those moments yeah. where this is what I've been missing. This is what I've been needed. I, did you, th- I know this isn't the this isn't the most accurate word mm-hmm. but to describe it but some sometimes people use the word i kind of felt normal you know i felt yeah. like i could I, I felt like i could function more socially or things did you have any of those kinds of yeah. sensations so my thought was this is the way that i'm supposed to feel so oh like, okay yeah so it was like finally like there was a sense of relief and a sense of peace and yeah i remember the people that were there i remember the music that was playing on the stereo was, mm-hmm. you know, immortal technique. And, you know, it was kind of a romantic, magical moment for me. Hmm. And, you know, I t- hit a gravity bong, passed out and woke up to my friend vacuuming up my vomit. And I was asleep on his couch. And I said, wow, this is awesome. 
And it was uh, <laughs> awesome vacuuming up the vomit or just awesome the feeling of waking up after this. Yeah, just the fact that I got to, like, completely escape. That's a good friend that will vacuum up your vomit yeah, for you, by uh-huh. the way. It was just... actually the first night we hung out, too. But it was his brand new townhouse, so <laughs> it wasn't so much out of friendship as it was ownership and responsibility. Yeah, yeah. So th- th- in, in this moment, and, and things kind of click, and you decide, okay, I found a way mm-hmm. to feel okay, to feel, I mean, normal. Yeah. Do, do you, before that happened, do you remember or does anything kind of stand out why you didn't feel normal okay do you remember anything that happened in life that maybe kind of created that or perpetuated it in any way um yeah so i've i didn't recognize this at the time but i was i was on in one sense i was rebelling against what i'd been taught you know by the religion that i was brought up in though it taught me some you know, many beautiful principles and an outline <laughs> yeah. to live life. It was, I've always been one that questions everything. And so to be in, <laughs> yeah, so to be involved. It's one of your better qualities. Yeah, <laughs> I would, I would say that it is. Yeah. And anything, to not necessarily foreclose on everyone else's ideas, yeah. but be able to come to your own discovery. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So to be involved in, you know, something that, you're just supposed to take on faith or, you know, I've heard it described as poor evidence mm-hmm. was difficult sure. for me. Yeah. And even though it's something that, you know, can add value to many people's lives, I, you know, I've found my own version of that now. Mm-hmm. And I do think it is important that we have some type of, or that I have some type of spirituality in my life. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing was a rebellion against you know, that upbringing, another thing was I was always overweight when I was a kid. You know, when I'd play football, I was one of the X-Men. I could do nothing but play on the line because I was so big. So that kind of became a part of my identity was, you know, the fat kid or the big kid. And that was that was a struggle for me, especially in elementary school before I started to, you know, hit puberty and grow up. Were you feeling then kind of different or awkward at this time then? Is that kind yeah. of what you were experiencing? Yeah, I certainly was. I, you know, it sounds silly, but I don't, I, again, I don't think that there's many people that don't go through some type of, you know, struggle to accept themselves and physically. And again, I, that was certainly my experience. Okay. Um, and lastly, one of the, I suppose, big things that, affected the way that I saw myself was I was a victim to sexual abuse when I was, I don't know, eight or eight eight through 10 or something. I was, you know, abused a handful or 10 times, Mm -hmm. um, by a man, which was very confusing for me, especially given the nature of like sexual sins in the church for me, like that got warped in my head. And I felt as though I was nothing that the religion taught, but as though I was cast out because I'd you know, experienced that and that was like some major sin and was, now I have what, a black mark on me. So you, the, so th- this is the creation the, the beginning of a lot of shame Yes, that started and feeling there was something wrong with you. Um, and was this someone you knew? Um, yes. Uh, uh-huh. was, uh, it was a friend of the family. Okay. You could say okay. not close friend of the family by any means, okay. but yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Anyone else in your family that was also perpetrated by him? Or um, I'm not sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And and that's sort of where you felt this beginning start, where I felt different. I felt you know this is going against my my beliefs and how and he, you know you're young enough to not understand to have any idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, losing the sense of safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it did happen to other kids that were around me, and for whatever reason, since I was you know, the oldest, I felt in some ways as though I should have been a protector. Uh And so that was something that I just threw in that backpack of shame too. Oh, that just added on top of it. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, built up a nice big black cloud of shame for decades. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny. No, I, I know I, it's. I know it's not. I, laugh, fu- I know it's not funny. Yeah. And, and I laugh. I laugh when I get uncomfortable. Yeah, it's sure. one of my things. So, <laughs> well, and uh, honestly, I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, thank you for your courage to talk about this today, yeah. because this happens. This this happens to quite a, a few people, especially youngsters, where they're perpetrated on when they're young. They don't have an understanding of what's going on, and quite often, most of the time, they think it's. Their their fault. Yeah. And that's even though today as adults, we can say, well, that's an irrational way to think. Mm-hmm. But we also know that children don't have the cognitive functioning and insight and awareness to be able to differentiate themselves mm-hmm. from someone like that, especially yeah. someone that maybe they're supposed to trust mm-hmm. and within a system that they feel they're supposed to trust as well. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there was definitely, there was definitely a lot of that. And that was part of, you know, another thing that I threw on was, you know, sex feels good. And so the first sexual experience being with, mm-hmm. you know, a man and as a child mm-hmm. and, you know, that's, you know, one more reason why I'm messed up and I'm a monster is the narrative that I told myself. Okay. Mm-hmm. So part of it, the idea, um, so did you, you question your own sexuality at this time or you, were you... Wondering if you were um, gay, or did, did you, did you, because of this this experience, or mm-hmm. did, yeah, did, did it, you, did, you know? Yeah, interestingly, I I did not, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you know, I I've talked to a lot of people where that was the case, mm-hmm. and you know, I haven't. It is interesting that I didn't, but yeah. Uh, well, and, and sexual orientation. I we don't we don't need to go into all this right yeah. now. But sexual orientation is somewhat of of a fluid experience anyway for a lot of people. It's not defined necessarily as black and white, even mm-hmm. though culturally a lot of people like to go, "You're straight or you're gay, um, or you're bi." Yeah, you know, and we're still not sure about the bi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> right, you know, for sure. but we understand that you know it, it's this type of thinking that even, and we know this with either you know the more we begin to understand gender that there's a certain gender fluidity too. Now, not always physically um, or physiologically, but there are gender fluidity when it comes to how people identify themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so I, we know gender identity is is something that can change throughout one's life, mm-hmm. and the, and the, and that's normal. But at this point, you were you know you 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 kind of felt like this was bad and wrong i mean obviously because 100 you know, yeah, percent. yeah yeah so that that makes sense mm-hmm. and so definitely taking that that kind of uncertainty shame and fear um into your uh, teenage years and then begin to partying mm-hmm. oh my gosh all of a sudden the substances helped me begin to feel normal oh, so yeah. i'm kind of normalizing my existence a little bit yeah for sure i mean yeah. the next day i chugged a 16-ounce bottle of Robitussin and 
the what yeah, I was, <laughs> yeah, <it> was like <laughs> the next day I wonder what the rest of this stuff does you know after i got drunk and stoned for okay. me it was all the same it was nice. all bad i so all bets were off you know and i i was addicted to cocaine and heroin in less than six months from that first time that i really drank wow mm -hmm. that was quick yeah but going right to uh you know the <laughs> can't remember the slang name for um, Robitussin, but uh, Robotripping or whatever yeah, like uh -huh. that. Yeah. But going that, I mean, that, that's a kind of a jump. I mean, you were ready. Oh, yeah. yeah. It sounds like you were ready. Oh, so. yeah. yeah. Well, once, once the pump was primed, you were off to the races, so yeah. to speak, literally. Yeah. There okay. was not a lot that I didn't do in the next okay. couple months. Okay. And had, and so kind of take us through that. Um, what 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 that what that was like? What that experience was like as you began? And you, as you say, you know, your mantra was more and everything. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, or yeah. So that period from sixteen, seventeen to twenty three is very spotty. Um, I was I was living to get screwed up. I mean, I, I, there's not another way I can describe it other than this is what my life had been missing. That's, that became all that mattered to me was feeling good. Mm. And, you know, I, and you found a way to do that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And, you know, it, I got my first charges as an adult on my 18th birthday. Just, I had no regard for laws. Obviously I was stealing from places that I worked to feed my habit. I was going out in the middle of the night and burglarizing houses to support my habit. I, three months after I turned 18, I got six charges, two of them felonies hmm. and ended up on, um, felony drug court when I was 18 or it might've been official when I was 19, mm -hmm. but yeah. Um, so that was something that may have kept me alive because I had to try and s I was supposed to stay sober, but all I was trying to do was not get caught. <laughs> I love, no, I, well, the idea I'm, I'm supposed to stay sober. I mean, there's, there's a lot of trouble in there, right? Because, yeah. uh, you know, you're supposed to also, I mean, you grew up with these strong values, which, you know, I know you today. Yeah. And I know that how important those values are to you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that, and we kind of know how this snowballs, right? Yeah. That, you know, once we start using, the only way to deal with the shame of the using too, right? Because mm -hmm. we're, we're checking out and then we begin to go against our own values and our morals. Uh, I like to use the term sort of our true north. Yeah. You know, that what we know is, is true for us and, the princ and those principles mm -hmm. and ethics and morals. You were beginning to go against all those. You were beginning yeah. to live a life that you, you, um, you know, you, not, not being integrous with yourself, not, not being, impeccable or honest or open, you know, with yourself. And, yeah. um, and of course, as you said, I just didn't respect, I didn't have healthy boundaries anymore. And you're, yeah. you're going around and, and stealing to, you know, stealing to keep your habit, which yeah. is it, when you're in the throes of addiction, that, that seems pretty normal. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it becomes normalized. Um, mm -hmm. and a lot of people, you know, as we know, jails and prisons get filled up with people that, um, quite often, um, it started with with substance abuse and addiction, and they end, mm -hmm. end up committing crimes to continue to feed that. Yeah, that, that which then we get the revolving 
yeah. door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in those six or seven years, any any interventions that ever attempted to have, how were your family and your folks in dealing dealing with this? Or were oh, they? Well, I, I put them through a very literal hell. And my, my mother would stay up every night waiting for me to come home, mm-hmm. which some nights I would, some nights I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And every night it, she would be, you know, wondering in what condition that I would come home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would try and pretend as though I wasn't screwed up. Meanwhile, I'm, you know, clinging onto the wall to keep from falling over. And, yeah. and making that ever to actually made it stand out probably even more <laughs> yeah. that there was something, there oh, was yeah. something wrong, right? Oh, the, yeah. I'm trying to act normal and straight here, yes, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not drunk. Yes. How do you do? Mother? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, my brother and sister too. And, even my extended family was very concerned about me. Well, and as they should be. I mean, you know, that's, I mean, for for better or for worse, um, there is a a strong sense of family systems here. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the, on the downside to that, sometimes they get um, uh, to a place where they actually um, become somewhat of a closed system where they don't let anything new in. Mm-hmm. So they, there's not a lot of growth that happens. Mm-hmm. But but generally speaking, um, you know, most family systems, you know, regardless of um, theological musings or, or anything, mm-hmm. um, do their very best to try to, you know, support the people within that system mm-hmm. and have them as integrate as much as possible into, you know, a healthy social environment as well. School, sports, work, those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. we yeah. did you work at all during this time, by the way? So yeah. So Any worked, jobs? Yeah. So I worked in sales, um, very shoddy companies I worked for. I you know, companies that would essentially sell a dream to people. Oh. Um People would, you know, order some get out of debt free package, whatever, some online, Mm -hmm. some online course for real estate or debt elimination or start your own business. And then those became... Were, were, you sell, were you selling Trump University? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that that one was out yet. <laughs> but if it was around, I probably would have sold it. If it was yeah. around, I would have sold it. It's only $35,000, yeah. right? Yeah. And you know what we'd do is take that pain or that dream of people to get out of debt or to mm-hmm. you know build a business and tell them we can teach them how to do that. Um, but we need some of your skin in the game mm-hmm. so that, you know, we know that you're serious about building this for yourself and we're going to turn around, use your story and, um, as a success story to help us sell those packages, just right. like the one that you bought. And we'd, you know, max out their credit card and, you know, ten fifteen thousand mm-hmm. $15,000 and, you know, I'd get 10% of that. And so I'd, I'd make large sums of money in very short periods of time. And when you're when I was using drugs, it was really easy to take a, take advantage of people sure. that way, like no remorse, I didn't right? Feel bad. It was just like, you know, I was a predator. So I don't want to I don't want to assume, but I'm I'm going to guess you were working high. 
We're, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. Naturally, <laughs> yeah, because I had no I, my, my morals were out the window. Yeah. I just was focusing on myself yeah. and what I get out of the picture. Paul, right? I thought I thought I made it clear all day, every day. <laughs> okay, Sorry, <laughs> listen, I am sometimes a slow learner. I'm really, and what I've you and I've known each other getting close to four years, I guess. Now you'd think I would I would understand some of these things. Yeah, for me, that goes without saying. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> I forget I'm, that. I'm sometimes. aging. I'm aging, James. <laughs> yeah. I'm aging. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. So I'd you know get a few big checks, quit for a few weeks, spend them, go get another job at a different place, and do the same thing. No. So I never really kept a job, but I always had work because there's. I mean, there was dozens of places like that at the time. Uh-huh. And and um, regardless of the ethics and the the moral issues surrounding this. Um, you were good at it. I'm going to guess. You know? Yeah, I was. I was very good at it. You know, okay. today, sober, I'm very much a reserved. I would describe myself as reserved and quiet, and you know, obviously, I don't have a hard time opening up when the time's right. But I'd say that I'm more introverted than I am extroverted. Uh-huh. But when I was on drugs, that certainly wasn't the case, and you know, I. And I guess that's part of why. I loved the drugs so much as it turned me into the person that I wanted to be, which was this outgoing, you know, what I thought the, you know, smooth, you know, salesman, like Wall Street, boiler room <laughs> style. Like <laughs> who you thought you should be is yeah. what I'm hearing you say, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I was supposed yeah. to be that guy. Yeah. yeah okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the drugs helped you become that person. Yeah, yeah. It did. I could, you know, talk to anybody and I could. I was a master of manipulation. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, we, I, I know, you know, this term, you know, because we, we, it's said a lot within the, our, the industry we work in mm-hmm. the idea, gosh, if I could do drugs with no consequences, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be great? Oh you know? yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I don't feel case, that way today. Yeah. I mean, just, well, you know, well, and, I, and I know, <laughs> but I mean, there, there was, there was a time where that made sense, right? Yeah. If, if uh-huh. doing drugs didn't have any consequences to them, everyone would do them. And I mean, in, in reality, I mean, there are consequences for a reason. I mean, yeah. natural na- natural consequences, yeah. of course. Yeah, and that's an impossibility, obviously. And I, and I would say if there weren't including, like, spiritual consequences and, you know, the relationship that I have my, with myself and the people that I love, if that's something that wouldn't be affected, along with all of the outside things, mm-hmm. then sure, I would use drugs. Yeah. But, you know, the peace that I do have today is something that I'm not willing to give up. Yeah. I think one of the, the things that I've noticed in my life, and this is not just associated with drugs, too, because I, I knew that, um, I mean, the drugs I see as, a, as um, a problem that compounds itself easily, but sort of the, the spiritual disconnect and some of the beliefs that I had mm-hmm. about life in general and about myself that were as probably as destructive and, and maybe not physiologically as harmful, mm-hmm. but from a... Um, an ability to connect spiritually um, in my life. And I'm not talking anything to do with religion here, but I'm talking about a way to connect, you Mm -hmm. know, and be part of things and and feel part of something. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the the irrational thinking and other behaviors I had would compound that 
that disconnect as much as the drugs would at times. Mm. And that's what's fascinating is being able to kind of parse through some of this over a period of, of time and through experience to realize the drugs being, as, as you and I have gotten to know, as a symptom mm-hmm. of something else that's going on. Yeah. Um, and and I I just find that I always find that fascinating to go you know it, it wasn't just in, at least for me in my case I don't want to speak for you but yeah. um, I don't think because yeah. um, <laughs> yeah, I, I always get into trouble when I speak for you other could people. Probably pull it off. Yeah, I don't want to do it. No, <laughs> don't tempt me. Stand back. Stand back. No, the um, this you know this idea of seeing that you know the the belief systems the the behaviors the drugs being a symptom of something they all compound the same problem i mm-hmm. guess is what i'm saying yeah absolutely yeah and the consequence for you know the spiritual consequence obviously isn't going to end in prison or you know hospitals or but it ends in its own version of hell of sure. hating who i am and not being able to look myself in the in the mirror and and consequences that are every bit as destructive like 100 percent. yeah and as you were saying you know with the getting away from my morals my values like i think that that is the single most important thing for me in my recovery is that i live in line with who i believe i am and who it is that i'm trying to become it's it's when i get away from you know, those principles that I know that I should be living, that it creates Mm -hmm. that inner turmoil, that shame, that guilt, that feelings of not being good enough. It just loads that. I mean, it just, you know, sets that on fire. Sure. And in order for me to have peace, I, those two have to be in alignment, my beliefs and my actions. So you, this, this went on, this went on to you said around twenty three or something. Yes, I got 20, sober when I was twenty three. You got uh-huh. through, you're twenty three. So what what kind of led up to that? What were what were the events or the things that happened that led up to you saying, you know, yeah, I, this is enough. Yeah, I, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. So the, those felonies were the first serious consequences, and you know, I was facing you know two second degrees because they'd been enhanced. So mm-hmm. I'm eighteen years old, looking at two to 20 or two to 30 can't remember exactly Mm -hmm. years in prison or it was this drug court program that from the outside looked at looked like it would just be a cakewalk you know i'll just use (laughs) ketamine and somas and ghb and acid and mushrooms because they don't all show up on drugs you had a plan oh yeah you were ready okay Uh uh-huh for Uh sure and not even the thought of losing years of my life in the prison Mm -hmm. system was powerful enough to overcome my desire to change the way that I feel. Were the, were the most serious um, charges, were they theft-related or? No, no, oh. they were possession. Okay. And you, they, would, they could have enhanced it two different ways, intent to distribute or mm-hmm. um, in, I was close to a church, so okay. they could have enhanced it for either of those things. So that's those were the most serious charges. I got a DUI shortly thereafter. Yeah, because uh, is that a, is it? Drug court. Yeah, <laughs> 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 uh, was it close to a church or a school? Because you know, people in church use drugs. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, yeah, sure. Uh-huh, yeah. As we know here in Utah, we have numerous epidemics going on: uh-huh. opiate benzos. Um, uh, <laughs> 
Um, yeah. But, yeah, but I I'm, say this completely playfully, but the Mormon speedball, Xanax, and, yes. and Adderall. Xanax and Adderall, <laughs> yeah, right. That, no, yeah, we, we talk about that occasionally, but it is true. It uh, is true. Very popular. Uh, Very popular. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah just because you're religious doesn't mean that, you know, all of a sudden you're immune from addiction. And, you know, drugs, substances themselves aren't even, uh, you know, as we know, the only thing that a person can get addicted to. So, you know, being religious isn't going to save you. No, and people can become addicted to, you know, a belief system. So, and a religion can be one of those things as well. Yeah. Um, Anytime that it's, you know, anything that we become addicted to where we believe or we obsess over to the point that there's, it, it is... Um, you know, absolute in its power mm. um, in such a way. And I'm not talking about personal beliefs of empowerment for an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about dogma. And dogma is a little bit different because it is it is about beliefs. And I, I you know, in, in the book I wrote, Recovering the Seed, mm-hmm. I, I try to unpack this the best I can to understand. It's don't don't get mixed up in the idea that um, that religion in itself or spirituality, you know, primarily religion, is anything bad or wrong. It's not. It's it's what happens when someone um, becomes obsessed and and compulsively. Um, uh, discriminates against other people because they don't carry the same belief system that they do. Mm-hmm. It is it is nothing to do with that. There's something wrong with the system itself. I mean, yes, everyone has sort of different opinions and and different belief systems, and not everyone agrees with everything that goes on with in every religion. And a lot of the t- stuff's being rewritten as as it happens. Mm-hmm. But the 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 point is, I'm saying this is that <laughs> as we know, um, you know. Part of the problem that that happens in any kind of community, mm-hmm. especially here, we're kind of a microcosm here in Utah, in yeah. Salt Lake City, especially, yeah. um, because the expectations of how to live, right, and what's mm-hmm. right and moral, moralistically get, mm-hmm. you know, kind of overshadow what you know the human aspect of things quite a time. Anyway, yeah, uh-huh. I, I diverge. Oh yeah, I was. Um, so how did I end up quitting? Was, yeah. Um, where we were at. I'll probably just get to edit that part out. <laughs> no, that's no, my good part. Stuff. My part. I know. I said, yeah. no, that's good stuff. Don't do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I yeah, I got a I got a DUI on on drug court, and I just certainly wasn't ready to be certainly wasn't ready to be done, and that was one of the craziest times of my life. Certainly was that period while I was on drug court, but it did keep me f- for the most part away from cocaine and heroin and I spent quite a bit of time in jail and that's the only time that I did cocaine and heroin was when I knew that I was going to jail so I in some ways look forward to that that's how skewed my thinking was and how powerful my desire to use was and I ultimately got kicked out of drug court for I see if I can remember the way that they worded it I was a danger to the community um, because I was selling drugs and helping people cheat drug tests and in the system, in the system. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, people hear that about me now and they're just like shocked, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) like it takes some convincing to like, how dare you? (laughs) Yeah. It takes convincing to, you know, get anybody to believe that I was ever that way. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm a pretty kind, gentle person You you are to be described as a danger to a community. 
yeah. today would be far from the truth. It's, it's true. It's <laughs> but true. yeah, so I, they sentenced me to one of the felonies and I did four and a half months in jail, three months of which was in the CATS program, Correctional Addiction Treatment Services. Mm-hmm. Dr. Wh- Dr. Whitaker would be proud of me for remembering that. Congratulations. That <laughs> one of the questions you had to know in order to get out was, right. what does it stand for? What does CATS stand for? <laughs> yep. uh-huh. yeah. and, there, and that CATS uh, has helped thousands of people. Yeah. It uh-huh. truly has. Yeah. yeah, and it was a great program. And that was the first time that I truly considered getting sober. And I had myself convinced that I wanted to be sober except for at the back of my mind i hoped that i might be able to drink one day and smoke weed one day huh. and maybe a little bit of mushrooms one day <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe a little bit of this a little bit of that yeah. someday i can maybe do a little bit of this a little bit of that okay. yes uh-huh. yeah but i was surrounded by people that for the most part really did want to get sober and that you know that rubbed off on me and it's easy to want to get sober when you've been in jail for months mm-hmm. i mean that sounds like a pretty good idea um but that was one of the best times of my life to that point um that was the first time that i'd ever been away from drugs since i started using for more than you know 24 hours that i couldn't get a hold of anything which was absolute misery it's, i was gonna say i'm gonna assume you detoxed yeah while while in jail or something yeah, I did. Yeah, I I certainly did. And, you know, I was taking things that at that time were less physically addictive, but I did, you know, yeah, I did take drugs in with me and had to, so I got hooked on drugs in there and then detoxed sure. from my own. <laughs> no, no. Well, and, and what's interesting about things that are supposed to be less addictive, um, uh-huh. I don't know if you've heard the recently the, the all the... Um, research is coming out on Neurotin, you know, mm-hmm. Gabapen, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and you, you, I think you and I have known this for a while, just based upon we know that people we know in, in you know, in the business have abused it. And, mm-hmm. um, but there have been, um, there have been overdoses, uh, reported in the, in the last few years on, um, on Neurotin, uh, and that, um, it is it is addictive, and that um, it gets abused a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it's one of those drugs that you know it, it does help. It, mm-hmm. it, I mean, just I mean, you could, I guess you could say even though there are different these are different classes of drugs. Sure. You could say the same thing about Subutex or Suboxone or well, something at yeah. times, uh-huh. um, except that Neurotin is supposed to you know help to deal with you know some a little bit of neurological balancing or um, homeostasis. Mm-hmm. Is that hail? That sounds like hail. That just oh came my out of gosh! It's—I uh, <laughs> don't know if it's either going to pick up on the show or not. But, uh, uh, but that's pretty cool. But yeah, I took I, I took Neurontin, you know, when I when I got sober in lieu of um, some of my um, more addictive anxiety medications, mm-hmm. and you know, it served its purpose. But I certainly felt it if I missed a dose, and yeah, I mean, just because it's not scheduled doesn't mean that it can't become an issue. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course. I mean, okay. That might even be scheduled. I don't know. I'm talking about yeah. my butt there, but not highly scheduled for certain. Yeah. It's, I don't, <laughs> it's not Schedule 1 anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah right. uh-huh. Okay. All right. So um, uh, you, you yeah. came out of jail. <laughs> I keep telling stories to... That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. Uh-huh. Yeah. So got out a couple days... Well, 
yeah, the weekend after I got out, I was hanging out with kids that I met in drug court and, um, they were all smoking salvia, which is a hallucinogen that lasts all of 30 to 60 seconds. And my tricky brain said, how can you get addicted to, you know, <laughs> right. an experience that lasts 30 or 60 seconds yeah. and a hallucinogen at that, right. yeah. that won't be an issue. And that worked so well that I smoked it again the next day. And yeah. obviously it didn't cause an issue. So I did GHB the next weekend and oh. see, I'm still okay. So I drank the weekend after that. And then, you know, I'm using daily again. Oh, so, so within, within a month. Yeah. About. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that mm -hmm. was, that was that. not an uncommon story. No, <laughs> certainly not. You know, and that's a struggle that it, I, I certainly had, and I come across with people that I work with and, my profession is that idea that I, you know, I can't even drink or I can't even smoke weed or, you know, I mean, if you, if you can, good for you. But for me, the issue isn't the, which substance it is. It's that I feel as though I need to change my reality in order to live happily. Sure. So, yeah. And, and one of the things about this program, and I'm glad you kind of brought up a good point is we mm -hmm. don't. We don't define what sobriety recovery is for people individually because there are some people that that you know would, would maybe I mean I, I okay I can't ever imagine using cocaine again and and I don't ever want to use cocaine it never mm -hmm. it never brought any value to my life I yeah. don't don't see anything along those ways um, but I don't want to discriminate or judge someone else if they if they can moderate um, you know uh, you know. I mean, I, I throw cigarettes into here, too, just mm -hmm. so you know. Yeah. You know, whether they can moderate smoking or they can moderate, you know, alcohol consumption and things like this. These are all – it's it's not for me. I, I, I It's not my job. Yeah. I don't ever want to think of being what that – you know, they, you hear the term recovery police kind yeah. of thing, like what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. And, um, and, but I also – people that believe in complete abstinence and, and most of the organized systems uh, and programs, especially the self-help groups, for the most part – believe that yeah. you know whether it be AA a refuge recovery or, or smart recovery they mm -hmm. they all take on that and I think that as far as you know learning to understand who we are who we are and and what and you know who and, and what needs to be healed and um, it's it's best to do that in a place of abstinence mm -hmm. because anything that's going to alter our understanding in our in our personal development and growth then that's really gets down to the issue. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've joked with people that, you know, I, I sometimes feel affected by taking ibuprofen and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and I do, I mean, it, it's strong yeah. in, 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 in that sense, but are there times that I take it if I, if I'm, you know, if something's yeah. inflamed or if I have an injury or something, well, yeah, I will. I mean, it, it's, it's not, I mean, there's black and white thinking is as much part of the problem is defining, you know, what I need to do to take care of myself because people are going to figure that out their own way. Through. Yeah. So I agree we, we don't want to, we don't want to judge yeah. other people for, no. or do our best not to. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. I certainly try to. And you know, I initially, when I got sober, I got extreme with Alcoholics Anonymous and you know, that's something that I love from the bottom of my heart because it did teach me how to live sober and find spirituality and take accountability and, you know, improve as a human being. And I love it for that. But there, you know, there were some dogmatic and fear-based things that I've sure. separated from. Yeah. And, you know, that's 
one of those kind of old school AA things is don't even take medications. And yeah. uh, to me, that's asinine. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's something that is a legitimate medical condition, you should probably follow doctor's orders. Someone who's qualified to make yeah. a decision. Not your sponsor. True. <laughs> <laughs> Not that so, they can't have well, valuable input. Uh, so you know, you, you, you know, I uh, I had uh, I had some surgery, or I mean, uh-huh. I had some stents put in. I had a heart attack last month, and yeah. and so um, one of the things that uh, that ha- you know happened, and I I joke about this, but I mean, I, it's the truth is that when they went in to do um, uh, the angiogram and then they put the stents in, uh, they gave me, um, fentanyl and, and Ativan and, <laughs> yeah, and I, was, I was feeling really good. <laughs> but I also, you know, afterwards when I was done, they said, do you want anything for the pain? And I go, no, well, I don't really have any pain. I mean, yeah. this doesn't, you know, I yeah. mean, I was sore and, you know, mm-hmm. felt a little out of it, but yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I enjoyed what they, you know, gave me while I did it, but I also knew that that was needed. And I got, I also got to be able to watch them actually, you know, doing the work and unclogging wow. the, the arteries and yeah. watch that all happen. And that was really cool. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if I'd have been as calm and fascinated by it if I, I went, it wasn't under um, yeah. the uh, direct uh, pharmaceutical <laughs> guidance of my doctor. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Yes. And. Um, so, so I agree next, with you. I yeah, agree with you. Yeah. yeah. So next next stage of my story is, you know, I ultimately left the hard drugs alone, and it was alcohol and pills and marijuana, and I got every bit as miserable just doing those things as I was on cocaine and heroin, and got to that same place of misery where, you know, I I didn't want to live. Wow! <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I hope that came through. I sure hope so that, too. That, light, that was lightning was pretty yeah, close. That so. was dramatic. <laughs> I don't like... want to live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. And so, we're laughing. Yeah, all right. Uh-huh, yeah, this guy's, uh-huh. you, you didn't want to live. Yes, uh, I was drinking to blackout, drinking mm-hmm. for oblivion, and so you necessarily weren't suicidal but you which is that there's a difference between yeah. you know wanting to die and what not wanting to live even though some people somatically think that you know well yeah. they're kind of the same thing but not wanting to live is just means i want to stop all this i just don't want to hear the idea of i, I want to die or i want to kill myself is is a is the act of ending that right you know and one's more self-medication yeah and i didn't it wasn't to the point where it's like, this is how I'm going to kill myself or anything like that. But, you know, I certainly, I mean, I overdosed sometime in that, you know, eight years and another one of my, you know, shame things that I carried around. My mom found me, you know, blue. And, you know, I remember waking up and feeling disappointed that, Mm -hmm. you know, I was alive still. I was like, shoot, you know, it would have been easier if I'd have just gone. And that was kind of my, level of dedication to life I mm-hmm. suppose is exemplified in that um, and you know I um, as you know I'm a musician one of those nights of you know like it's hard to you know unless unless you've been there it's you know a difficult thing to explain so I won't try too hard but in that in that misery I you know I was playing a song called Fine Again by Seether and, uh, you know, it talks about 
one of the lines is one day too late. Um, and you know, my mom was there with me and she said, James, tomorrow might be too late. Meaning that, you know, I could die any one of these days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I decided that I was ready to go to detox that night and, you know, on the way to the hospital, I, I didn't recognize it at the time, but I said what today I view as a prayer or, you know, some type of meditation or mm-hmm. surrender, all of the above, turning things over, you know, asking for help from anything that may be out there. And, you know, I was defeated in, in defeated in a good way. Like I was ready to be done. Like I knew where drugs and alcohol were going to head and there was no escaping that reality. It's sort of like you were, you were tired of the battle, I guess. Yes. It could, it could be said that you, you found yourself in a place where, um, the, the, the fight that you was going on in, in between you and you know, <laughs> probably this, this, the, um, the analogy of the two wolves, right? You yeah. Know? And I, which I love that analogy and I think it's a beautiful one. Um, yes. The, the idea that I've been feeding this, this wolf of anger and frustration and resentment um, and addiction for so long, I'm just exhausted because it's the madness of that wolf um, is consuming, all-consuming. Mm-hmm. And so um, and the, the analogy of feeding the, the wolf of compassion and love and tolerance and health and well-being and self-care and all these kinds of uh, things that you know honesty um empathy Mm -hmm. the things that sort of feed the 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 heart side of ourselves yeah i I use that term wholehearted a lot and and i think that's when when i I think about you know when we want to make these changes it's sort of like it's like i want to i want to repair my heart i want to live with an open heart instead of one with fear Mm -hmm. and that the two wolves kind of that analogy really i think touches home with that yeah and i you know that white wolf was certainly famished and you know, I, you know, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and, you know, my life's pretty, pretty simple. Like there's, you know, nothing crazy that I do. I uh-huh. love to go to the gym. I love to play golf. I love to play softball. Mm-hmm. I love to, you know, spend time with the people that I love. And, you know, it's not extreme and not, you know, the insanity that it once was, but sure. it takes, you know, it takes a minute for, you know, that white wolf to come back to health you know (laughs) yeah but those feelings of peace and contentment and love and joy are every bit as powerful as you know that chaos that drugs once gave me and you know it's not something that happens overnight and that's one of the things that i always tell my clients is you know in aa they say don't quit before the miracle happens or the night is darkest before the dawn. And that's something that's come true for me over and over and over again. It's just shortly after that moment when I, you know, I feel like I can't do it any longer, Uh but something beautiful is on the way. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is true. And Mm -hmm. and that the, the, this idea that, um, well, and maybe this is, you know, ultimately comes down to, 
um, that the key of developing patience with ourselves, mm-hmm. um, because if anything uh, that's uh, that fuels obsession and and, and compulsive uh, behavior is um, the lack of patience yes. and 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 the lack of clarity and being able to be in the moment, yeah. to be able to exist in the moment, like I'm okay. Yeah, and if I think about it, that's what I was searching for in drugs was peace and acceptance and calm and you know it's like but it was all borrowed and it was all manufactured i think the idea of using to the point of of blacking out of Mm -hmm. any which you can black out from any drug yeah but (laughs) (laughs) you can't black out from meth i go yeah you can i I remember doing an intake back when i was at another uh, directing another center you know 12 14 years ago and um, i did the intake on this woman and then uh, and went through all her things and everything and did all the paperwork and then got her down to her room and she slept for a couple of days, woke up a couple of days later, came upstairs and said, who are you? And I go, I'm the person that did your intake. You know? <laughs> she had been uh, on a five day, you know, binge, meth yeah. binge, but then uh, slept for two days. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It could certainly stop your you, heart. So. You can, you can, yeah, she didn't stop her heart. You can black out from anything. Uh, yeah. yeah. She had no recollection of that period of time. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I went to the hospital and um, went to a treatment program. It was very simple. It was 12-step based. It was one therapist and, you know, a bunch of videos from the 1980s. And the therapist was awesome. And, you know, I, I'm very grateful for what he taught me. But the big message was go to AA. And, you know, I'd always really struggled with that. I, you know, I struggled with the idea of God and didn't recognize how open-ended the spiritual piece of the program was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so when I read that third step, willing to turn my will and my life over Mm -hmm. to God, it seemed like this insurmountable thing, but it can really be broken down simply as doing the next right thing. And, you know, just living in accordance with those principles, like we were speaking earlier, you know, your own spiritual principles, yeah. Yeah. whether there's a God or not. I know that living with honesty and love and courage and kindness and compassion is, you know, I'm probably not too far off from God's will if there is one. <laughs> <laughs> if if she has one. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I say that. I say that in all seriousness. Yeah. Um, I had a, a guest on a few weeks ago um, who's basically used the, the 12-step model to get sober. Mm-hmm. They're an atheist, and they uh, don't have any belief in God or higher power. Yeah. Um, but they, they do find a, a way of becoming part of something bigger than themselves, and they either use nature or... Um, which is a very common one, yeah. um, but not identifying it as any deity, sure. um, and still getting this the same results and and have the same respect and fondness for the program, yeah. without this idea of identifying you know some entity or, or deity or monotheistic yeah. component. It, it's not necessary. Yeah. Um, and and you and I've you and I've had these talks. I know over the years is you know people put down. Um, 12, the 12 step model quite often, mm-hmm. um, because of that. And, and really it's just, it's, it's a simple model or, or program of personal growth and development. It, it's really what it is if you simplify it because yeah. it can be used for anything. 
Yeah. I mean, that it was developed from the aspect of um, an alcoholic paradigm mm-hmm. um, sort of invalidates really the strength of some of the core components of 12-step, yeah. you know, which is about, you know, taking responsibility, um, learning acceptance, <clears throat> connecting, having community. You know, the, the whole principle of the fellowship is probably one of the most, mo- most important components um, in recovery, even though I have a lot of colleagues that don't necessarily always agree with that. Um, but I, you you know how strong I feel about aftercare. I don't care what your belief system is. I, Mm -hmm. I just want you to show up and learn how to be vulnerable in a community and be able to become part of that community so that it builds something bigger. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and and it's a foundation for the next people that are coming in. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. I have people go, yeah, I'm done with aftercare. I'm anything else. I'm not learning anything. And I go, well, then it's not for you for the next six months. Yeah. Right. It's for the it's for the new people coming in, mm-hmm. and I mean in twelve step they call that the newcomer in aftercare. We don't look at it from that point of view, but it's sort of like <clears throat> in all communities it's that way. Whether you're in sports, or the community's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 the the veterans that sort of teach and and, and create the the ground for which the. Um, uh, what do you call somebody new in sports? Mm. <laughs> Let's go with Greenhorn. Greenhorn, yeah, well, rookie, yeah. yeah, the rookie. That's the word I was looking for. Rookie, um, you know, something, some place for the, the rookies to come in because yeah. you know everybody comes in thinking they know everything, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a teenager, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, today, do I need to go to a meeting every day to stay sober? Absolutely not. No, but if there wasn't meetings, where would have where would I have gone to get in touch with? You know, the community that taught me how to stay sober. Sure. Like, so is it a necessity that, you know, out of fear, I need to go to a meeting every day? No. But, you know, it, it is one of the beautiful pieces of my life that I get to, you know, share the freedom that I've found with other human beings that have experienced that same hell that I've been through. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, James, I see you as... Um, someone who finds multiple ways to connect. I mean, we were talking about softball in the beginning. I mean, joking mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, yeah. that, that there are people that the softball community works for, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, there's people that, that, you know, really gravitate to aftercare. Then there's people that gravitate towards smart recovery or refuge recovery, mm-hmm. or they find other types of communities. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, we have a, a, a group that started a book club. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard about that. They I meet actually no. here at Lighthouse on Sundays. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and they get together and, and, uh, do coffee and, or tea. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or herbal teas too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and talk about a book, you know, and they, yeah. and it, it's fascinating. I mean, they want this sense of wanting to build community. Yes. Um, really is, is what makes it work. And I, I say softballs is valid as aftercares, as valid as book club, as valid as 12-step. It, it's all important. And and I, the more you can utilize and the more you could spread out and the more languages you learn in, in recovery, the only it's better for it. Don't, it's, it's better for you and it's better for the people that are in those different communities. Yeah, 100%. And recovery in the same vein, it isn't about just not using drugs. Like that's just, I mean, that's like minimum requirement. Like the goal is to. Right, because that's the symptom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah right. right. The symptom is the drugs. Yeah, yeah. recovery is about finding happiness and <clears throat> joy and building healthy relationships and finding hobbies that, you know, allow you to express yourself. So, in a sense, everything's recovery related. I mean, because it's about living and enjoying life. 
Yeah. Well, and, and I talk about this, in, in, again, um, in Recovering the Seed, is addiction is a human condition. Mm. It's not just for people with, you know, um, drugs, alcohol, sex, food, um, and so on. I mean, mm-hmm. the people that the people that um, that struggle with work and exercise and, and all different kinds of things and re- religiosity, um, the people that uh, that find they struggle with different types of right and wrong thinking in many ways can be as addicted to those ideas or those thoughts or those beliefs as someone who uh, is in the throes of you know alcoholism or um, or drug dependence. Yeah. It, the which are also the same way. The most Powerful addiction, according to a lot of professionals, you know, is uh, the addictive to romantic love mm-hmm. because the withdrawals, just like coming off of, you know, um, uh, cocaine or, or methamphetamine for some people where they, they, they literally for, you know, crave this, mm-hmm. this feeling that comes from the other person, you yeah, know, certainly. and and again, that that's all in our head that there's no substance that's fueling that no you know yeah right that's a chemical reaction that's a chemical yeah, yeah. it's chemicals <laughs> it's just one it is well yeah it is chemicals yeah. but it's ones that we produce and yeah. we get addicted to those the chemicals that we produce you right know? Mm-hmm. and I, I joke about this with salt you know and i used to I used to use that in family sessions forever and i'm not a big salt person but i haven't regulated my salt since my heart attack mm-hmm. um and i'm noticing it's the foods Mm-hmm. It's not that what I cook at home. It's what I've, you know, when I eat out. There's so much salt in things, and, and you know, it's it's easy enough to be addicted to salt. Um, we have uh, a, a, a colleague of ours that uh, has dealt with their sugar addiction this past yeah. this past month, uh-huh. um, and literally went through withdrawals coming off sugar. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I invite people if you ever wonder what it's like to come <laughs> off of a, a drug addiction. Stop eating sugar for a month. Oh my gosh, it's so the true. first two weeks. You'll know what it's like to come off a drug. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. yeah. When you and I did a, you know, a yeah, whole, foods whole thirty. Program, yeah, yeah, yeah that's sure. right. We did that together. I had literal physical and <clears throat> mental withdrawal symptoms from cutting out simple sugars. Isn't that, that wild? Naturally, yeah, yeah, that was insane. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. My my son's done, most of all my kids have done that too at least a few times where they've cut all sugar out. I've got two or three of them that regulate it, mm-hmm. and I do too at this point. So I'm I'm being more careful about that as well. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, we're gonna move on. Okay. Um, are you good? If we we keep going for a little bit. Okay. I got I got a few questions I want to ask before we end. All right. All right. So, when, when, with life, you know, we, yeah. there, there's a couple of areas that I like to discuss, and, and uh, I, I want to make sure that we do get a couple of these in. Mm-hmm. Um, is the the idea of uh, the victim narrative and the and the victim stance, which is mm-hmm. really big, and, and and especially when we talk about um, mental health and addiction and um, isolation and loneliness, the the idea of the power of the victim and how it takes us out of a place of accountability. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. and it's how quickly it, it just, it affects everything that we do. Yeah. You know, what, what are your thoughts about that? And oh, especially yeah. working with, you know, in your life when you sort of became, mm-hmm. started approaching things from an accountable point of view and how do you, and how do you do it with clients nowadays? I mean, we, we're seeing people that are just quite fresh into yeah. recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I didn't even know what that meant until, you know, I, until I showed up to, you know, that last treatment center, like 
I didn't understand what I, what do you mean I'm being the victim? It is my parents' fault or my religion's fault or my, you know, whatever, that girl's God, God's friend, fault, the, yeah. Some yeah, people blame God's it on fault. God. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was a good one. <clears throat> I got a lot of, got a lot of mileage out of yeah. that one. Yeah. If God loved me, yeah. if God was really here for me. Yeah, right. uh-huh, then why am I so miserable? And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and really no growth happened for me and I don't know that it can happen for anyone and unless we recognize how we're getting in our own way yeah which is you know my way of you know my perspective of where I'm being a victim you know and and by by taking accountability like at first it sucks cuz it's like man everything's my fault and it's my fault my <laughs> life is screwed up it's my fault i'm addicted to drugs it's my fault that i'm you know 23 and live in my parents basement it's my fault be- that i'm single become and- a victim of myself right yeah, uh-huh, yeah. you can see i'm, I'm obviously <laughs> now very- i'm a victim of me i'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a victim cuz i'm a loser <laughs> yeah uh-huh. so as you could hear i'm very good at playing that card <laughs> Yes, uh masterfully done. Yes. But the cool thing is if everything in my life that's going wrong for the most part is my fault, that means that I'm also my own solution. Like that also means that I have the ability to change all of those aspects of my life with which I'm unhappy. And it just feels so much like better and empowering to you know, take ownership of our behaviors and why are my behaviors and mm-hmm. why my life is the way that it is yeah. rather than just, you know, be at the whim of everything and everyone around me. Like it feels good to be able to, you know, say, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I messed that up. I'm a human being and that's okay. And <laughs> I can do my best to make that right. And rather than, you know, just wallow in that, woe is me. And I think that that's one of the, you know, certainly one of the biggest things that plague us as human beings is that, that victim stance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, and the inoculant or antidote for that is take is accountability. Yeah. Um, the idea of I'm responsible for what I think, feel and do that I, it's the world, my reality is my creation. Yeah. It's not happened. My reality is not happening to me. I'm creating my reality. Yes. And yeah, that's absolutely. sort of that, that place. One of the things that uh, a guest a few weeks ago was saying on the show um, was what really helps them uh, inoculant is gratitude, expressing, mm-hmm. uh, finding gratitude for something every day in life. Yeah. And they know when they're in a place of victim stance or, that the victim narrative's getting strong, they realize they're they're not in a place in gratitude in their life. They're not living, and they're not living in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they use that as an example. I think we talked about gratitude, humbleness, and maybe you know, be, being um, accountable for you know creating our, you know our thinking, our, our yeah. reality. You know, yeah, that sort of. You have to like, or I have to like deliberately try not to find something to be grateful for because there's so many like there's so many things like it's it's simply because i am not looking for it and i am not willing to see it is the only reason that i wouldn't have gratitude and there's some days where i love to throw that you know party for myself and oh what was me and then you know i pull myself out of it i'm a human being and you know that's part of being a human being is you know, sometimes relearning those lessons and I don't beat myself up when I slip right. into a victim's right. stance or, 
you know, a lack of gratitude. It's, you know, it's part of the beauty of the journey is, you know, the beauty of the journey, you know, learning those lessons. Mm -hmm. That I, that idea of, um, taking accountability Mm -hmm. for my humanness and which means I, I, I've realized I'm going to make mistakes and then taking accountability for when I make a mistake Own it. Right. I mean that that nothing transforms a victim stance quicker than owning. Yeah. Taking ownership. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. So uh, moving on, what mm-hmm. what about in your life? Um, you know, some of the important life lessons you shared a, a few of them today. Mm-hmm. Is is there anything that really stands out to you? And do you, when you look look back, do you have sort of a, is there is there a person or a mentor that that really stands out strongly for you? Yeah, yeah. I've I've had so many so many mentors and you know it started with my mom and my dad Mm -hmm. and my brother and my sister you know my dad is a beautiful example of quiet strength Mm -hmm. and you know responsibility and you know like i can't think of the word but unconditional unconditional love like he thinks of my mom and you know his children you know, far before he thinks of his own, you know, wants. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that, you know, I feel like today I've gathered is, you know, some of that selflessness that he exemplifies. And, you know, I've never met anyone that loves as deeply as my mother does. Mm. And, you know, sure. Sometimes it might be a two of, to a fault even, but what a beautiful fault to have is, <laughs> is loving, you know? No, I don't think there's, I don't think love's ever a fault. Right. Maybe romantic love, sure. but selfless love is yeah. something pure because, um, well, this is something Todd said when he, he was yeah. on last week and that mm-hmm. thing about, cause love is something you can give away. There's it's it, when it is unconditional, yeah. it, it's, it's forever flowing. Like the cup's always full. The more you give it away, the more the cup fills back up yeah. because the act of love is the act of showing up for someone else. And it is selfless yeah, in right. a way. And my, and my parents, it's not have, codependent. Yeah. And my <laughs> parents have had their, you know, had their own struggles. Absolutely. They mm-hmm. have. And, you know, my mom's unrelenting, like positivity and love hmm. despite the struggles that she's had and, you know, no sense of jadedness or, you know, nothing but appreciation and gratitude for life. Hmm. You know, I do. I yeah. do. Um, all right. Uh, and I, I, there's way too many. Everybody at Wasatch has been an example. Sure. And, sure. you know, like so many people that I've met along the way, I, yeah. I, you know, I've, I'm like a sponge for that. I see something in somebody that, you know, is something that I admire and I'm like, Ooh, I want that. Mm-hmm. And that's something I want to be a part of who I am. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, add that to my list of values or, yeah you know, spiritual principles that I'm trying to embody. And, you know, I think there's no shortage of, you know, beautiful, powerful individuals to learn from. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you connect to, to faith or, or hope or, spirituality or, or God mm-hmm. in your life. What, yeah. what do you, what do you, how do you, do you have a formal way of doing that or do mm-hmm. you, do you have a, any type of practice for yourself yeah. in, individually? So initially it was very much formal. 
It was, you know, my sponsor would say, you wake up, you say a prayer for, mm-hmm. you know, God to help keep you sober today. And at night you say, thank you for, and then when you get to the third step, you say the third step prayer every day. And mm-hmm. then the seventh step, you say the seventh step prayer every day. And then the 10th step, you take inventory at night and in the morning you ask for guidance. And it was like, um, got to the point where I almost felt as though I wasn't protected unless, you know, I touched all of those bases. And then one day I was like, if God loves me. Why would he not protect me if I forget to, you know, ask for him to keep me sober today? Is he just going to be like, well, sorry, James. Yeah. <laughs> Best of luck, man. Yeah. yeah. Like, have fun with that heroin because you forgot to ask for. Right. You right. Know. Yeah. I didn't go to a meeting. That's why I relapsed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, in that and moment, you relapsed because you wanted to use drugs. Or, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the uh, fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> uh, we, we can say fuck out here. You didn't Oh, tell yeah. Me. This is. A, this is. I'm so sorry. Well, let's last a little bit. Yeah. This is explicit. It's rated E oh. in all the in all the, the pod uh, formats. Oh, I'm okay. so sorry. No, right. You can say anything uh, you want. No, yeah. it's good practice for me anyway. Yeah. If my mom and dad ever heard this, they'd be like, <laughs> hey, he just said it. Do my very best to edit my mouth. Aww. And yeah, anyway. Well, there's but, some selfless love. Yeah, okay. right. So, so yeah, initially it was, and I'd take 10 minutes every day to meditate. And, you know, and today it's more just a part of the way that I think and the way that I live. Like, I have thoroughly entrenched my values into my decision making and and that's something that took time and i think that that militant practice of prayer and meditation is something that helped solidify that into a way of thinking so i think that that is a great place to begin but now it's just a part of the way that i live you know i you know i see something you know, in my life that I'm appreciative and, you know, I don't even verbally or in my head even say, thank you. I just soak that in and, you know, and higher power or source or whatever. I just acknowledge like, that was awesome. Thank you without words. And, you know, like if I'm faced with a difficult decision, I, you know, recognize that things are going to turn out the way they're supposed to turn out as long as I just, you know, act with love. Like, I don't know what's supposed to happen in this situation, and it would be egotistical of me to think that I do. So I'm just going to do the best I can and leave the results up to source, you know? You know, you brought up a point in there in the beginning, I thought, that really stood out to me. This mm-hmm. idea of um, that, you know, you, you had this routine and you had these principles and you got to a place where you were i mean literally ocd about them like yes. you know this is the obsessive this is where <laughs> yeah. this is this is where oh yep yeah yep, you, 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 you've been confirmed yep okay uh-huh. so um this is where um obsession and compulsion like addiction can happen to in anything mm. and so um so someone can become addicted to their program meaning that it, if they don't do certain things every single day, then they don't they won't find the end, the results they're looking for, and that's fine. And in, in reality, whatever that again, we don't we don't want to judge, but mm-hmm. we want to be aware. Does it get to a place where it's actually it, the 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 obsession or the compulsion is beginning to rule our lives, mm-hmm. and then it is another addiction. Mm-hmm. And you know, they say, well, is that addiction worse than you know than um, 
than the the drugs or the alcohol. It's not like that. It's not black and white like that. It's mm-hmm. it's it's what it ha- is. It are we are we taking care of ourselves? Are, is the quality of our our life in a place that we can be in the moment? Because of being obsessive or compulsive about something often can take us out of the moment. Yeah. And so that that I'm glad you brought up that point that mm-hmm. you know you kind of transitioned from that to a much more open. And present place. Yeah. yeah. And, and in that vein, if I was going to beat myself up for every like addictive behavior that I ever exhibited, I'd need to walk around with my golf clubs, <laughs> you know, cause it's like, it happens and that's not something to yeah. judge myself for. No. And that's something that I, I mean, that's part of my problem is that shaming and guilting of myself. And yeah. so if for beating myself up for if that's a part of my self-analyzation and my attempt to grow, then I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. Like, that's just, that's yeah. that's part of the problem. Yeah. So quit beating yourself up for beating yourself yeah, up. Right. I have to remind myself. You know? Shame is, is definitely so toxic. Yes. Because uh-huh. it, it does become the problem. Yeah. And it's so easy to go there. Which is, you know, I'm, you know, Brene Brown's probably one of my, if I would have a mentor only, um, from I mean, not only because mm. our language is so much so so, so similar, mm-hmm. um, but this idea that um, to be to you know transform shame in our lives, it it comes back on on willing to be vulnerable, willing to um, you know foster and create intimate relationships with people, the sense of community, willing to you know allow our our vulnerableness and the ability our humanness to come out. And all its colorful glory, so to speak, mm-hmm. and then it's uh, also, and it's all its all its bozoness, <laughs> uh, uh, <yep. laughs> which is what, what that's about. Because you know, the, 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 being able to laugh at ourselves like the mm-hmm. best tonic ever. Yes. You know, like yes, I'm a fool, and I'm going to fall on my face right. at least a few times per day. Okay, yeah. um, let, let's uh, let's move on to um, uh, what brings you joy. What what are the things in life that that really resonate for you? Mm. In the, yeah, so that joy zone. Yeah, so that's a very, very long list, and I'm grateful to be able to say that. Um, you know, some of the things that we've already talked about. Obviously, golf is, you know, one of the things that you know brings me a great sense of joy and being out in that nature and that kind of, you know, introspection that happens. You know, golf's very much a intellectual sport more so than it is a physical sport and you know learning how to have compassion for you know yourself and you know i golfed a lot with my grand my grandpa and that's something he always taught me was like the mental aspect of the game and you know that mental aspect of the game is the same in any area of our life we all have to you know sort through our thoughts and decide which thoughts are serving me and bringing me closer to joy or are getting in my way of that. So golf is certainly one of those places and, you know, softball primarily just because I get to get together with my friends Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's not about softball. It's about hanging out with, you know, the people that I enjoy. Yeah. So, you know, relationship is certainly one of those things that brings me joy. Um, I find a lot of joy at work one because I work with again, people that, you know, I love and admire. And it also gives me an opportunity to share what was given me, you know, this perspective that I have on life, this kind of way out Mm -hmm. from that, you know, hamster wheel that is 
addiction or humanity or, yeah. <laughs> you know, that programming that we all receive. Um, uh, the, the, the menagerie of social constructs that are around us. How about your, your where's your Zen zone? What, what do you do to, to do that? Is that similar to joy or yeah. is you, what's, what's that Zen zone for you like? Yeah, they're, they're all related. And I, I like to think that my Zen zone is something that I carry around with me. Hmm. Like I can find that Zen in any situation that I find myself in. And, you know, there's those things that help me achieve that, you know, state of mind, but it's also, there's nothing more necessary other than, you know, my own thoughts and the recognition that I'm alive and I have the opportunity to feel and experience and, you know, learn about myself. And, you know, I mean, it's the fact that I'm alive right now is I mean, mind boggling in and of itself from a just an existential point of view, not even that I tried so hard to kill myself for so long. <laughs> I mean, so I, I do feel as though that's... The self-harm. You, you're, not yeah, self-har- right. you're, not, you're not intentionally self-harming yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I believe that that is one of my strengths and a strength that anybody can achieve is that, that ability to bring their Zen with them. Uh, it takes practice and yeah, no, beautifully know, said. It's a arm wrestle and life happens and you know I have to recognize where I allowed something to screw with my zen and you know return to it without judgment. Perfect, perfect. Okay, um, so the last thing that we'll we'll t- touch upon today is um, I talk about the uh, if if there were a, a playlist on of your life. Um, hmm. And so sometimes people think about if you know if there was a life celebration, what would be on that playlist? But um, if, if there's a, a few songs or a song that really stands out to you that has meaning that you think kind of represents the journey mm-hmm. of your life, what what that was like? What 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 do you have anything that comes mm, comes yeah. to your mind? Yeah, a, a few. Yeah, uh huh. Something that I've been listening to with my girlfriend a lot recently is a song called Puss- by Pussifer called "The Humbling River." Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's essentially about you know, there's times when physical strength isn't enough. There's times when you know you need emotional strength in order to accomplish things, and there's times when you can't accomplish things solely as one individual, and that you know things need to be done together and that's something that you know brings chills every time i listen to it is that idea that you know like that mental and emotional strength is every bit or far more even important than you know physical and that there's if i'm trying to do everything alone i'm missing i'm missing the point like the beauty of life is that we experience this together or one of the main pieces of the beauty yeah. of life is that we experience this together you know and as far as the bad things you know that song by Seether Fine Again would be a great example of that Master of Puppets by Metallica would be a great example <laughs> of, of that Master of Puppets yeah. I mean Fade to Black was you know what, literally the song of my early teenage years uh-huh. by Metallica um Hmm. I wouldn't say that you know that's a that's a good 
That's a good start. That's a good start. Yeah. So some people would think you're a metalhead a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. For sure. Yes. I. I. Yeah. I, and that's okay. Oh, oh, I. I own it and I love it and I think metal is a beautiful place to, you know, uh, somewhat paradoxically find peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. Well, and, uh, you know, last week uh, Todd was on, and, and one of the most powerful songs in his life was um, Fade to Black. Wow. Yeah. I Just there. You, you didn't know that, that did yeah. you? It doesn't yeah. surprise me at all. Yeah. And, <laughs> he and I have a lot in common. And, so. and yeah, even though it's a, it's a song that, that has some uh, some darkness in it, it's, it's about finding, again, finding the light. Yes. And that's kind of this whole idea of learning to embrace shadow. For so long, it's become something fearful. Yeah. And I think, you know, for a, a lot of people, um, they look for ways to avoid embracing mm-hmm. their shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that means that they have to go to a really dark place in their life. Yeah. Um, or they, which, you know, whether it be drugs, alcohol, you know, um, gambling, you know, food, sex, something. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with sex, okay? I'm not sure. saying that that's a bad thing. But when it becomes the only thing that we, this allows us to be sustainable, yeah. you know, emotionally and spiritually in life, then it's a problem. Yeah, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Or that we make really bad decisions around it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah I mean, there's yeah. people that make life-altering decisions around sex and destroy their lives. Yeah. So. But, so I'm, I'm not... <laughs> yeah. I don't feel but so it's, you, but it's also, a, you know, it's also a beautiful example of... You know, appreciating our our bodies and you know respecting people that are a person or people I guess yeah. who am I to judge that <laughs> that we love you know and kind of a symbolic of that so <laughs> or aha yeah aha. all right namaste all right namaste so um but that this I know that was leading uh, where I was going with that was in, mm-hmm. is this idea of being able to live and embrace the shadow side as something as valid as important as the light Mm -hmm. and that they both you know learning to live with both of those aspects within us that we have the beautiful um, amazing power of creation but we also can step into the shadow and and realize and understand that part of the journey is learning how to get through that too it's not just all you know, being in the light as much as it is learning to navigate through all the aspects yes. of what this human experience is, yeah. which is so vast. Right. Just so vast. Yeah. And the dark is very real. Yeah. And there is a lot of, you know, that out there. And I agree 100% is that's what life's about is learning to navigate through that and return to that light. Well, you know, the idea too, I mean, we were talking about the two wolves earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two of them. I mean, and, and I mean, again, this is an analogy. I understand um, a metaphor a, a, about life. Um, but the idea is, is that to, to feed the, 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 the wolf of, of light, of, of health, of love, of um, you know, compassion, we have to ha- also have an understanding of the wolf of anger and mm-hmm. frustration and resentment and addiction. Yeah. To, so to be able to live the differences, we have to understand the paradox. Right. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. So how can I truly, you know, appreciate you know, the the love that I have for the people around me unless I've gone without that? How can I exactly. appreciate, you know, the person that I am today unless I know what it feels like to, you know, live differently i agree with that 100 percent, and that's why i'm so grateful for the life that i 
do have is, yeah, like parts of that were very difficult. And we all have very difficult parts of our lives. Yeah. And, but those are the things that give us that perspective and that contrast. And that's why I'm as grateful as I am to have the life that I do is because I have been without it. Beautifully said. Mm-hmm. All right. We will end here today. I thank you so much, James. Yeah, absolutely. For coming. Yeah, thank you. And, and sharing part of your afternoon yeah. uh, with us. Yeah, um, always good to hang out. Yeah, sure. It's always good to hang out. <laughs> this is how our yeah, conversations but, usually go. Yeah, anyway, this is so. about how we just don't usually sit down for an hour and a right. half at a time. Uh-huh. We just don't happen to have that kind of work schedule. But no. uh-huh. that's what I like about this is it's an opportunity to really sit down and, mm-hmm. and talk about a lot of things. So thank yeah. you for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, we will go out as we always do with a little Joan Osborne. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. What would-